All right. Welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. Hey, welcome to the show. Uh, I know it sounds a little bit different today. I am actually recording in my car. Um, I put up an announcement on Facebook and Twitter, but in case you're not on social media or you just missed the announcement, I have a couple of things that I need to take care of, and I'm not going to have time to spend as much time as I would like on this podcast. Uh, I'm probably not going to have time to set up the studio and sit down and, and go through articles and that kind of thing as well as I would like to and as much as I would like to. So um, for the foreseeable future, I will not be putting podcasts out on a regular basis. But what I'm going to try to do is maybe from time to time when we have something up in the news or I have something that I want to share with you, we'll see how this works. And maybe I can just record a few things while I'm driving around. I know it won't be the great sound quality that you're used to, but hopefully it's it's good enough and I promise to provide good enough content that it's still worth your while uh, to tune in and listen as I'm able just to get some of this stuff out. So um, I have a lot of good things that I would like to share about guns. At some point, I'm going to go through and we're going to do Uh, We're just going to break a lot of the myths on gun control coming from the left and from the right. And uh, I also want to talk about this latest wave of climate activism and Greta Thunberg. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you probably caught the video of uh, the troll lady telling uh, AOC that we have to eat the babies. And as that turned out to be fake, but it was still hilarious and still, I think, kind of tells us a little bit about where we are with climate change. But this week... Uh, Over the past week or so, uh, the headlines have just been dominated by all this talk about impeachment. And I mentioned it before that I I think that, you know, a lot of this stuff has been hugely overblown and is really a big stretch uh, and just a bad move in general by the Democrats. But I thought, while I have a few minutes, maybe we can talk about where this impeachment thing came from. And just to give you a brief overview from my perspective where the impeachment stuff started, what's driving it, and why ultimately I I don't think it's going to stick. I don't think we're going to, we're probably not even going to see him actually impeached. And I I almost am almost certain that we're not going to see him thrown out of office. So just the, the early disclaimer, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. If this is your first podcast that you're tuning into, I, I don't support Donald Trump. That's not who I am here. And I, I get sick of saying it, but we live in such a polarized culture and such a bipartisan culture that people assume that if you say something bad about the Democrats, you're you're obviously a conservative Republican. And if you say something bad about the Republicans, then you're obviously a Democrat. And we're so much better than that on this show. We, we go back and we have these guiding principles of peace, property rights, and free markets. And we also try to, at least when we're talking about American politics, try to talk about it in light of the Constitution and in light of what the Constitution was supposed to mean and what they meant when they wrote it and not necessarily how it can be twisted or or misused. So where did all of this impeachment stuff start? Well, I think that you'll have to go back to Trump's 2016 campaign when we find out uh, after the fact that the NSA and uh, the CIA were spying on Trump's campaign. 
Um, we had FBI people talking about how they were going to stop him from taking office if anything were to happen and he were to get elected. Um, Scott Horton talks about a, an article from the New York Times, which I will try to look up and try to put in the show notes if I can remember if I can dig it up correctly. But if you remember election night 2016, when you know, one big state comes in for Trump and then the next big state comes in for Trump and then the next big state comes in for Trump. And suddenly it's looking like this guy is going to actually win the election. Well, finally, the the last results come in and almost all the states are counted and there's, there's no chance for Hillary to make a comeback. And you see her people, uh, wherever it is that she is, you know, and they're all gathered in this uh, arena or whatever it is. And they're waiting for her to come out and give a concession speech. And as it turns out, she never shows up. She doesn't give a concession speech. And a lot of people, uh, especially on the conservative side, you know, pointed out what a bad move this was and that she didn't have the guts to, to face her own people and to admit defeat. And um, I think I heard at one point that she didn't even have a concession speech written because she was so sure she was going to win. But what actually happened was there was a debate uh, between some of the top officials in the White House and between Barack Obama, and they were having a discussion about whether or not they should address the Electoral College and tell the Electoral College voters that, you know, Donald Trump is obviously a threat and he cannot be the president. So the Electoral College voters would be told to vote for Hillary Clinton. Now, obviously this has never happened. I think it's only been one other time where uh, a candidate has lost the popular vote, but still won the electoral vote. But at least that is still within the realm of the rules that our electoral system is supposed to operate under. So what they were talking about was they were going to tell the electoral voters, you're going to vote for Hillary Clinton anyway, because we cannot have Donald Trump as president of the United States. So they're going back and forth about whether or not they should do this. And finally, uh, Obama closes the door on it and just says, no, we're not going to do this. I'm not going to be the president who is responsible for shutting out a duly elected president. We lost. Let's just take our losses and move on. So that was why Hillary Clinton didn't come out at that point was because she was waiting to see if they were going to have the Electoral College vote for her anyway and vote her in as president anyway. So she comes out the next day and gives a concession speech after that decision is finally made that, yes, Donald Trump is going to be president. Um, What a crazy world we live in, right? So we even see from that early on that there was talk about throwing him out of the White House or blocking him from being in the White House in the first place. Uh, that, you know, the, the, the Justice Department and, and th- that there were agencies actually spying on Trump's campaign, that they were trying to catch him in something, that they were trying to, to cook up this, this Russian collusion narrative. And so as it moves forward and they begin to investigate some more, um, of course, Donald Trump is saying that he hasn't done anything wrong. And as far as collusion, as far as any of those impeachable offenses are concerned, there's not really anything there. There's not really any evidence. There's a lot of narratives. There's a lot of uh, speculation, but there's not anything there that's actually enough to throw him out. So when the Department of Justice is investigating him for these crimes and it's really being detrimental to his presidency and to you know him taking action on a lot of things and trying to get things done because everyone is so inundated with this Russia talk, 
he tells them, look, you need to stop this investigation. This is a waste of time. Everybody knows there's no evidence here. Everyone can see that this is all something that was just made up and spread around. And now I can't be as effective as I would like to be as a president because you're wasting your time with this. And a lot of these people actually do report to Trump. Now, that causes kind of this weird um, conflict of interest. But the way that it was explained to me was that if Trump really wanted to, he could fire the entire Justice Department. Now, they would probably sue him. That would probably get tied up in court. And it would obviously look bad on his end for him to do it. But it's not out of the question for that to potentially happen. So he wasn't necessarily out of bounds by asking them to stop, much the same way that if you were wrongfully accused of a crime and you simply tell the police when they come to ask to question you, like, why are you questioning me? You need to stop. I'm, I'm not guilty of this at all. Stop looking into this. But when Trump asked them to stop and, and repeatedly said that the whole thing was ridiculous, he was accused of obstruction of justice. And so now you've, you've slightly moved from Russiagate to uh, obstruction of justice with Russiagate. And they begin investigating everybody in his campaign and they keep looking for more and more. And they, they find dirt on some of these people, but it's never anything related back to the actual Russian scandal. They have one of his campaign advisors who didn't register correctly uh, that he was doing work for another country. Um, and it was, a, it was a paperwork issue that they, he had, and it wasn't directly with Russia, um, but they, they hung him up for that. I think it was his lawyer, um, Michael Cohen, maybe, that they, after questioning him and grilling him and trying to, to get him on something, they got him on some sort of housing permits of, of some housing that he owned in New York or something like that. You look farther into it, and we get into this Stormy Daniels thing where you find out that he may have paid this porn star hush money so that uh, she wouldn't tell anybody that she had slept with him. And perhaps that money came from the wrong account and it came from a uh, campaign account instead of his own personal money. So all of these things have spun off of the Russiagate investigation. And there's just been one scandal after another and, and one thing after another that he does and that he says and that they're upset about. And then they, they every time the investigation takes a turn, they say, this is the thing we've got him on. This is it. We've nailed him. And sure enough, as it plays out, it's not quite there. And they, they haven't nailed him on anything. So as we've moved forward, we finally get to the latest scandal, which is uh, we have a CIA whistleblower who comes out. And he is anonymous, by the way. He doesn't give his name, which is not the way that the whistleblower program was supposed to work anyway. The whistleblower, the laws were supposed to protect you so that you could give your name, so that you could stand up and say, this is my name, this is my position, and this is what is happening uh, in whatever agency I'm in so that they can tell the world and they can give the world a credible report of whatever malfeasance is going on. But instead, we get a report from an anonymous whistleblower from the CIA who doesn't have any direct knowledge of the situation, but he's, he's heard from a bunch of people and he's heard from people who have heard from people that Donald Trump had a phone call with the president of Ukraine and that there was a quid pro quo set up and that Donald Trump threatened to take away their military aid and threatened to take away $400 million of aid if they didn't reopen the investigation into Hunter Biden and into whatever happened with this energy company that Hunter Biden worked for. So, first of all, what happened there? Well, uh, as far as I can tell, 
there was um, a Ukrainian energy company and Hunter Biden had a place there either on the board or as a consultant, something like that. He had a position on there and it doesn't seem that he really has the qualifications to be in that type of position. However, as I mentioned before, a consultant is a really good way to, to pay somebody. Having a consultant or being a consultant is a really good way to pay somebody uh, without really having to tell anybody what you're paying them for. Now, there are obviously legitimate consultants who go to board meetings and, and give much needed input as to whatever their field of expertise is to, to help this company guide them the right way and let them make the right decisions and whatnot. But at the same time, it can also be a way uh, to do a favor for somebody or to do a favor for somebody else's family that you're going to put such and such a person on your board as a consultant or something along that that line. And it's just, it's just rich, powerful people doing rich, powerful people things. I have no idea what Hunter Biden's, you know, what his qualifications were. I have no idea how involved he was. I don't know anything about this corruption scandal. All I can tell you is he was on the board for whatever reason. And Joe Biden actually tells the story. And Joe Biden actually bragged about it, that he went in there and as Ukraine was opening this investigation and trying to find out whether or not there was corruption here or trying to get to the bottom of the corruption. And Joe Biden brags uh, in his own words that he came in and he told them, listen, I see that you're looking into this so-called corruption scandal, but we believe that it's really your prosecutor that's corrupt and that they're trying to make a story out of something that's not here. So you need to fire your corrupt prosecutor. You need to stop this investigation and it all needs to be done before I leave today. Um, and I'm going to be flying out in six hours, nine hours, something like that. And if it's not, if he's not fired by the time I leave today, we're pulling, uh, I think, I think he threatened to pull the aid money. It may have been military help, but there was a direct threat of if you don't fire this guy, we are going to do X, whatever it was. And he says, and, and he brags and he talks about, he went in there, uh, he, he talked a hard game. And by the time that he flew out that night, the guy had been fired and the corruption scandal had been put to bed. So that was what Joe Biden said had happened. So now when we have the CIA, this anonymous CIA whistleblower, and we know that from the beginning, the FBI and CIA uh, have been talking about how they might get rid of Trump and talking about the possible ways that they might be able to remove him from office. And now we have an anonymous guy who comes up with a very unsubstantiated claim um, that he's heard from people who have been talking about other rumors that there was this quid pro quo in this phone conversation and that Donald Trump told them that they needed to reopen this investigation and that they needed to dig up some dirt on the Bidens. Well, Trump called their bluff and he released the transcript and the transcript was actually relatively boring. There were the two presidents who were uh, spending a lot of time sucking up to each other and telling each other how much they liked the other one and how proud of each other they were and a bunch of just ridiculous fluffing, uh, I guess is what I would probably call it. But there was no quid pro quo. Uh, Donald Trump said, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you look into this? People are asking about this Biden thing. And the Ukrainian president says, sure, I'll look into it. You know, I'll see what I can find. And that's where the conversation stopped. There was no mention of money. There was no mention of aid. There was no threat of anybody getting upset. All Donald Trump says was, hey, could you do me a favor? And the guy says, sure, I'll help you out. I'm happy to help. 
So this is released and we see that there's not really anything to that conversation. Now, let's be honest. The reason we give a lot of these countries so much money and a lot of the, the reason why we provide aid to so many places is so that we as a country can throw our weight around so that we can kind of intimidate them into making economic decisions that that, that are in our favor and, and making laws and using their companies and using their oil and all of this stuff in a way that helps Americans and that gives us a bargaining chip and that gives us a way to kind of push on them a little bit. So uh, the Democrats do argue and, and there's a little bit of weight behind it that uh, this threat of, of us withholding aid is kind of implied and that, that Trump kind of bullied him into looking into it. And I think you could kind of say that that's there, that, that there's kind of an undertone there of uh you know, them remembering how much money they're getting from us and, and what would happen if we were to withhold that money. But the threat's not there in the open. So if you're trying to set up a court case where you're going to actually present this as evidence and say, this is exactly what he did that was wrong and this is how he threatened this other country and this is treasonous, it's not going to stand in court. It, there's not enough that's there. And not to mention, this is standard practice for, for the U.S. and for their presidents and their diplomats to, to throw their weight around a little bit. And we have this this proud anecdote from Joe Biden where he did the same thing uh, back when he was vice president. But uh, of course, the problem the Democrats have with this is that it is a threat to our democracy. And uh, they use this phrase all the time. And, and everything Trump does is a threat to our democracy. And anytime he tries to take an executive action, it's a threat to democracy. And we need to restore our democracy and we need to protect our democracy and, and on and on and on. But I think one of the things that they forget is, and, and sometimes you'll hear people bring this up, is our country isn't a democracy. Our country is a democratic republic. And a, a democracy means that you are ruled by the majority, that whatever people vote for, that's what wins. That's what we're going to do. Whatever the 51% says, uh, the 49% are just going to have to deal with it. However, a republic means that you are ruled by the law, that there are hard laws in place, uh, specifically our constitution, that defines a lot of the things that people are and are not allowed to do, and, and most importantly, that the government is and is not allowed to do. So this isn't just about democracy. It's really easy to get people fired up about democracy because you're talking about this is your power that, that this guy is supposedly taking away and, and so on and so on. But first of all, in my opinion, democracy isn't that great of a form of government. Um, democracy comes in handy when you are trying to vote uh, whether or not this party at work is going to be a pizza party or if you're going to have sandwiches. You know, democracy is nice when you are taking a family vacation and you decide whether you want to go to the mountains or the beach. You know, and you get in those kind of situations where you say, well, you know, everybody voted. We're, we're going to do the thing that most people wanted. And, and you get to go along with this as well. But when you're talking about uh, a group of people being able to vote away another people's rights or uh, as we keep trying to, you know, bomb our way to peace in the Middle East and, and, and bomb them into democracy, you're talking about a society where there are different tribes and different races and different sects of Islam that a, a lot of places you get a majority, the majority is going to vote to annihilate the minority, that they're going to, to slaughter those people and kill those people. So democracy isn't necessarily the end-all be-all of, of any kind of functional or successful government. Um, it, it can come in handy for the less important things, but when you're talking about people's rights and that kind of thing, uh, it's much more important to talk about the rule of law. But the most important thing that I want to mention 
when it comes to this whole threat to our democracy thing is that whether or not you like the Electoral College or you like the two-party system or any of that, Donald Trump won the presidential vote the correct way. Uh, He won it by the rules. So he got the most electoral votes. He campaigned in the right states. He won the right states. And even though Hillary Clinton won the popular vote and lost the electoral vote, everyone knew from the beginning that the goal was to win the most electoral votes. And, you know, generally they go hand in hand, but they don't always coincide perfectly together. And it would be very similar to, you know, saying that one team got more total yards in a football game, but at the end of the game, it's about the team that scores the most points. You know, yards are great, but touchdowns are much more important. So when you look all the way back to the beginning of where a lot of this stuff has started, the attempts to push him out and the attempts to block him and the talks about what can we do to throw this guy out, whether it be with the the 25th Amendment or whether it be with the Electoral College or whether it be with uh, some kind of scandal that we cooked up um, or some kind of phone call that somebody heard from a guy who heard from a guy who heard from a guy that turned out to be nothing. All of these things are originating from the intelligence community. And one of the senators even said when Trump took office that the intelligence community has six ways from Sunday to get to you if they want to, that they can destroy your reputation, they can they can take you out. It, it doesn't matter what you do or who you are, that they can still get to you and they can still absolutely ruin your life. So who, what's the intelligence community? Well, that's, I mean, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA, all of those agencies are made up of people who are not elected. They are either appointed or they're hired in from the outside and then they move up from within. So the real threat to democracy is that you have unelected officials pretty openly and brazenly talking about how they're going to depose a president who was democratically elected. And and nobody's talking about this. And that's the thing that I think we are missing the most of all is the fact that It should really be scary. First of all, the president has a lot more power than our founding fathers ever intended for him to have anyway. But even more so, you've got outside agencies that aren't elected by the people, that aren't held accountable by the people. If the FBI or CIA does something wrong, there's nothing you, the voter, can do about it. You're just going to you're going to take it and deal with it. And that's that's all there is to it. And and that's the biggest thing uh, that I hope you take out of this is that the threat to democracy isn't that that some loudmouth is in the Oval Office just tweeting nonsense all the time, but that you have people who are not accountable to the voters, who are not accountable to the country, who really aren't accountable to anybody except for themselves, and oftentimes are allowed to operate in complete secret so that you don't even know what they're planning on or what they're doing. And they're trying to get rid of the president who was elected. So um, we'll see how this impeachment thing goes. Um, I really don't think there's that much to it. As far as I know, it is right now it is Tuesday, October 15th, I think, the day after Columbus Day. And the last I've heard, they had not filed a formal impeachment inquiry. Uh, they had a committee that Nancy Pelosi allowed them to form and that they were still looking into impeachment. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has pushed back against impeachment pretty much from the beginning. She knows that Donald Trump is at his best when he's under attack. He's at his best when he's on the defense. And 
she doesn't want to impeach him because one, she knows that it's it's not there, that it's not going to stick. And two, she knows it's just going to empower his voters and it's going to make him stronger. It's going to make his voters ready to come back out for him and support him even more. And uh, she just doesn't want to deal with it. But the problem has been that a lot of the mainstream Democrats and uh, a lot of the younger ones have really been pushing hard that we need to impeach him and we need to, we need to impeach, we need to impeach. And I think that she's suddenly starting to worry about her own voter base a little bit, that if she's not going to, to play ball with her party and try to impeach him, that, you know, she could be losing votes and, and it could be hurting her stock because of it. So they are looking into an impeachment. Uh, as far as I know, they haven't filed an official impeachment inquiry. And that is why when you hear, when you see the articles on uh, NPR and MSNBC and a couple of those things that uh, some of the Trump administration, they are refusing subpoenas and they are not showing up to be questioned by the committee. Well, what's happening there is that those aren't real subpoenas. Those are just demands from the committee to talk to the committee. Since there is no impeachment hearing, since there is no impeachment filed, those subpoenas don't actually hold any water. They're not really subpoenas. They're just requests. Uh, Chris Ann Hall des- described this as being like, you know, you can write a letter that says that, you know, your neighbor needs to, to bake you some cookies. But the truth is your neighbor doesn't have to bake you cookies. They can take that letter and rip it up and ignore it. And it wasn't a subpoena to bake you cookies. It was simply a, a request uh, that they were legally able to deny. And I do have one person ask me on Facebook, uh, they said, well, if you know Trump's got nothing to hide, why wouldn't he let his people do this? Why wouldn't he let them you know, look into his stuff to finally prove his innocence? And my answer to that was this, you're not going to prove his innocence. If you believe that Donald Trump is an evil criminal who um, needs to be removed from office, you're going to find that evidence in anything that you look at. Anything that you look at into him, you're always going to find something that's going to outrage you and upset you and make you think that he needs to go. The same way if you're on the opposite end of the fence and you think that Donald Trump is the savior of this country and he's the savior of the world and he's going to make America great again, then there's nothing that you're going to see that's going to convince you that he's anything less than that. So when you have a committee that is dead set on finding something to put Donald Trump away for, they're going to twist and pull and pry and do anything they can to find something and to make it look that way. Uh, Much the same way that there was a phone call where there was this definite hard evidence of Donald Trump committing treason and trying to ruin one of his political opponents by, you know, withholding money from another country. And then you look into it and you find that that wasn't there, that it didn't happen. And so suddenly the the Democrats push back with that is, well, it was implied. And implying something is, is far different from outright saying it, and it's not going to stand in court. So I'll keep you updated as this moves on, as this keeps unfolding. Um, if, if there's more to talk about with it, then we can talk about it some more. But I'm just not convinced. Uh, to me, it just doesn't pass the smell test. Um, it doesn't seem to me that they're going to find anything. It doesn't seem to me that anything's there. There are obviously going to be some kind of shady and some kind of possibly unethical things going on, um, but they're not anything different than what everyone else has has done for decades and decades and and possibly centuries in this country. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, One thing I do want to point out is that Scott Adams mentioned that during the Trump campaign, there were so many scandals and so many things about Trump 
um, that there was nothing that was really able to take hold of him and really sink his campaign. That you know, we see before where somebody misspeaks or they do something silly or uh, you know they just completely get owned in a debate or something like that, and they just can't recover from it, and it, that just sticks with them, and that's the thing that drags them down and ruins their campaign or, or ruins their tenure in office. But with Donald Trump, he would say one scandalous thing after another, after another. And you never really had time to sink him on one thing that you were upset about because he was already moving on and saying something else controversial. And and there was no way you, you had to move on to the next thing that he said. And you had to move on to the next thing he said. And he was actually spitting out controversy so quickly that there was too much of it to take hold and to bring him down. And I think that you see this again in this whole impeachment thing from the Democrats that uh, if they would have really gotten hung up on the Russiagate scandal or they would have really got hung up on this Stormy Daniels thing, that that would have maybe been enough for everybody to look at them and everybody to say, um, look, you failed. You completely blew this impeachment attempt and just made you look stupid because we can all see that, that it was a lie, that there was nothing there. But instead, by starting out with uh, Russia and moving on to Stormy Daniels and moving on to the people in his campaign and moving on to this Ukraine thing now and whatever the next scandal is going to be, that they're actually using the same method and that that's not going to be able to sink them anytime soon because they're keeping uh, that controversy stirred up so much that, that nothing really has a chance to take hold and take them down. So I guess that about wraps it up. Like I said, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, I'd love to talk about a couple different things, and we'll just see how this goes. Let me know what you think of this format. The Facebook page is down. I'm still up on Twitter.com. Username Garrett again. You can email me at Garrett again at pm.me. Uh, as always, Garrett just has one R. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for, for bearing with me as we switch the format up a little bit. Things are just a little bit less structured, but hey, maybe this is a, a good way for me still to reach out, communicate with you. Um, if you have anything you want to talk about, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me and I'll be back when there's more to talk about. Uh, until then, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.